Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. All right, a pleasant good evening and welcome to everybody to the Water Zone Show. I'm Rob Starr along with somebody who I call the hydraulic hero of our industry, Mr. Chris Davey. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. That's a, I tell you, man, do you have a thesaurus that you look up every week to find these, these superlatives here? Man, you do great. No, I actually just, I, don't, I really just pop out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They're awesome. How are you, buddy? I am doing well. It's great. I'm in California, as you know, today. I yes, came into the office to see you, and you're not in the office today. You're no, up. I was there Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday because we had guests and yep. uh, worked at home today. Yeah, and tomorrow I'm uh, I'm still here in California, but it's we are launching because it's going to be the first uh, first of the month, uh, the first of April, and that's when we launched the Wyland Foundation National Mayor's Challenge for Water Conservation. So we're kicking it off in the city of Westminster at noon. And there's going to be lots of TV crews and things. And uh, the park, we're, we're showing the park of us and um, Municipal Water District of Orange County. We're putting in a uh, what they call a pocket park to their major park. And what this first stage is going to be is everything's going to be new technology in irrigation. And so they're going to get the latest and greatest of, uh, of smart controllers and drip uh, products and uh, pop-up sprays uh, that are pressurized and uh, pressure regulated, I mean. And uh, so it's going to be it's going to be a great uh, presentation and a lot of dignitaries are coming out. So that's what we're launching tomorrow. So uh, ah. if anyone wants to come up, they can come out to uh, uh, the park. But anyway, uh, I'd like to welcome uh, Miss Chris Austin, who's joined with us every week. She does our California Water News. And most importantly, she is the maven of maven's notebook and she is the a wonderful person who can give us a greatest update on water news in california so chris well hey everybody how you doing we're doing great chris let's go down there tomorrow and get rob's autograph you know tv crews <laughs> might get a tv spot oh wait a minute i get your autograph every time we do a show don't i Rob? yeah <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> we also have an exhibit going out there of all the products that are going to be put in uh, all the smart technology products will be on display for everybody. And uh, there'll be the mayor, the city council, a whole bunch of other people. Uh, it's going to be a, a great event. And again, it's our purpose is to help educate and, and push uh, more awareness about water conservation. So that's uh, what the beginning of this is. So, Chris, what's new in the water world today? I know there's a, a treaty signed, but it has nothing to do with Europe. <laughs> the world. Yeah, you know, finally, you know, we've been talking about this process that's been going on in the water world to, you know, take the people that are diverting most of the water that flows through the Delta and elsewhere uh, to try and get them to come to some sort of agreement on, you know, some flows, because if they don't, then the state water board is going to come in and, and, and impose, you know, their own restrictions. So this is a process that really has been going on since about 2016. And um, I, I don't know, I think it was about six, nine months ago, the state 
sort of said, uh, we're giving up on the San Joaquin River. Because you know, in the Delta, there are two rivers that feed the Delta. There's the Sacramento River, which comes from the north, and the San Joaquin River, which comes from the south. And so these are like kind of can be thought of as two distinct halves that feed the Delta system. And so they were just not getting anywhere on the San Joaquin system because the, you know, the water agencies and the people there just weren't ready to, you know, give up any water, essentially. And uh, so the state finally said, you know what, we're, we're giving up on this process of trying to create a voluntary agreement on the San Joaquin River because we just don't think it's going to happen. But of course, you know, they leave the pathway open in case something should happen, but they kind of said, now nah, we're done with you. And so the Sacramento River, which is in the north, you know, the folks in the in the Sacramento River have been more uh, amenable to these sorts of things to benefit the birds and the, and the fish and all that. Uh, you know, it's kind of this amazing success story here in California water. Back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the rice fields in the northern Sacramento Valley, they used to burn the rice fields to burn the, the old crop out. And this made, you know, the air pollution in the Sacramento Valley really unbearable. So the legislature got involved many, many years ago and said, you got to stop burning your fields and we want you to flood them instead. And at first, all these farmers, you know, just said, oh, that's just terrible flooding our fields. And they were really against it. But what happened is they flooded their fields and it decomposed, it, you know, it, it took away <clears throat> the, the uh, leftovers of the rice fields from the year before. And uh, at the same time, the birds came on to the, the landscape. They came into these flooded rice fields and they started feeding off of them. And at first, the farmers thought this was going to be a, a bad thing, but what they actually found is that having the birds on their rice fields and flooding the fields rather than burning them made them even better the next year because the birds were eating out some of the pests that would be there, you know, for the uh, rice farmers the next year. So the rice farmers after a few years, got really on board with this flooding the rice fields, and they've been very supportive of this. As a matter of fact, I've driven, I, I've been out and visited uh, farms in the northern Sacramento Valley, and they're very excited about the birds. They have this whole uh, card that they keep in, in their trucks, and this guy, will, he will pull it out and it would show him what birds were in his field. I mean, the Sacramento Valley has really enjoyed the birds and welcoming them onto the their properties where they used to think it was going to be a 
bad thing. Now they see it's a good thing. And so they've been more willing to negotiate with the state uh, to, uh, you know, to reduce their water uses, let more water flow through uh, for the benefit of wildlife and, and et cetera. And I mean, to be honest, uh, I would have to say that the Sacramento Valley Water Agencies really kind of saw the writing on the wall and that the thing that uh, reduces their water is usually uh, protections for endangered species like salmon. So if they can take action to benefit the salmon, it, it kind of frees up water in a sense for other places in the system. Uh, so they signed an agreement uh, earlier uh, this week, a couple days ago, um, that's going to allow more water to flow through the um, to flow through the delta, um, and it will mean that uh, rice fields will go unplanted. I think they said six percent. I believe is what I saw quoted in the media that they won't be planting in the Sacramento Valley to create this water to flow through the system to benefit species. So it's, it's like 35,000 acres, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's not a lot in a sense, but if you're the farmer that's you know, following your your acres, you know, that's a, that's a significant economic hit. So, you know, I believe they have all that figured out in this agreement. Now, the thing to know about this is that all these agencies in the Sacramento Valley have agreed to this, but the, the final say will really come from the state water board. Uh, they'll, they will be submitting these, uh, these agreements to the state water board so that they can evaluate it along with what the state water board wants to do, which is more of an old fashioned approach, I would have to say, to water you know, usage in the Delta. So, I mean, it's the, uh, we'll see. It's actually an amazing accomplishment that they have gotten to this point where they can say, we're gonna let this water go and we're gonna do all these things and, you know, these water agencies and water suppliers to put up money and other things to make this come to pass. Now, is it as much as what the water board, which is the regulators, think should happen in the Sacramento Valley? That is going to remain to be seen. But the idea here is that they're going to submit this voluntary agreement and the state water board is going to evaluate it against what they have proposed, and uh, we'll see what the benefits of it are. And if the voluntary agreement in the analysis says that it will provide the same benefits or better, then that will be 
you know, that will be amazing. Then the voluntary agreement will, you know, come into play. But it's going to remain to be seen when they do this analysis. Will it hold up? Will it not? We don't know. Yeah, that's unfortunate, but that's how the system works. Yeah, it, it's interesting to see. I mean, we'll we'll see, you know, what happens. You know, we're really in California, we're really in a bind uh, because especially in this drought, uh, you know, you just can't not put any water down a river. You just can't dry up the whole riverbed. That would have drastic effects to fish and species and things that people care about. But on the other hand, you know, we have cities and we have, you know, people's lives and livelihoods that depend on at least having some water. And so, you know, where where is it going to go? I, I don't know. Um well. Chris, Mr. Davey is an ardent fisherman. And Chris, how do you see, just real quick, how do you see California taking care of the wildlife, especially fishing in California? Do you think no, I agree with Chris? I, I agree with Chris 100%. I mean, you know, I think California's in a turning point here with this with this drought. I mean, great explanation, by the way, uh, Chris Austin or, or Maven from, from uh, you know, from the outlook of that you just provided our, our listeners. But I mean, it's not just fish, as you say. There's lots of people who depend on uh, who depend on that water for their livelihood. I mean, not not just in you know the river sports industries and whitewater rafting and fishing and, and stuff like that, but um, you know people who actually you know make their livelihood and do good for uh, for the rest of the uh, uh, inhabitants of the state. Um, I guess my you know my outlook is. Uh, yeah, you can't just stop a river from flowing, right? So it's it's how do you how do you dole out what's available for everybody for everybody gets a fair shake? It just doesn't seem feasible, but somehow we'll we'll make it work, won't we, Chris? Yeah, well, I mean, it's gonna what's gonna happen is gonna happen, but uh, the farmers are essentially being told that uh, they they're not getting any water this year. And, you know, we should all take pause uh, because California, uh, you know, supplies, depending on where you read it from, anywhere from the third to 50 percent of the fresh vegetables and fruits and nuts that you find in the grocery store. So when we say to the farmers, you're not getting any water, uh, that's going to have some ramifications. Uh, now. The, the flip side of that is that it's not like we have water in our reservoirs that we're just choosing not to release to farmers. I mean, there's not a lot of water there. It's been a very dry year. And while we had a great December, you know, everything as, as it has been in recent years just dried up after that. So nobody's holding on to water that they're not giving to the farmers and the water that they're holding on to they're, they're they need to give it to the cities to the people you know I mean you can't go to your kitchen sink and turn it on and no water comes off I mean we we need to supply the cities 
So the farmers, you know, will always end up taking the back seat to that. Uh, but it's a dire situation. Oh, and, and also the state wants to hold on to some water because what if next year is equally as bad? You just can't drain the reservoirs down to zero. You can't not put water down the rivers. And in California, because most of these this water is flowing through the delta, the, you know, the delta is connected to the ocean. And so if you don't, you know, the less fresh water you send down the rivers, the more the salt water will intrude into the delta. And if it gets to a certain point and salinity gets into the interior delta, then we can't export it for use in Southern California, the Bay Area, and elsewhere. Farmers cannot water their plants with it. And we're stuck with a salty delta until such time we get enough freshwater flows to flow down the rivers to flush it out. So, you know, we're in this constant mode of trying to control salt in the delta so the whole water system will work. But it's, uh, it's very difficult. I, I'm glad I'm not in, you know, in the state water management because these are really hard decisions. And, you know, and they have impact. When you tell a farmer they're not getting any water, that's like if I said to you, you know, you're not getting electricity for the next year. I mean, how, how would you do your job? Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. <clears throat> what are the... What's been the impact on the reservoirs lately, especially since we had a pretty good storm, at least down here in Southern California, came through this weekend? Yeah, well, unfortunately, that storm hit Southern California much more than Northern California. And so, you know, unfortunately, since most of the state's water supply comes from Northern California versus Southern California, while it did great things for Southern California in terms of wetting the landscape and, and dampening down wildfire risk. Uh, it didn't do a whole lot for water supply in terms of what you might import. Now, water falling on the landscape in Southern California helps the groundwater basins and, and other things. And they're really working down there very earnestly to implant uh stormwater management so when these rains come they can direct them you know in the flows into ground you know places where they can sink into the groundwater basins and such but uh i think stormwater capture in southern california while i wouldn't say it's in its infancy it has not been fully implemented implemented by any means at this point so Hey, I was reading, you know, I, I as I read the newspapers every day and articles about, you know, the lists of, you know, uh, cities and states, <clears throat> you know, like who's the best in education, who's the worst, who has the highest crime. And, you know, we're usually at the bottom of the list of things. But I, I noticed today that we were we were number five. Hey. And unfortunately, that shows that we're the fifth most. Uh, I can't even talk today. The, the uh, number five on the list for having the most polluted water. 
I know. Hey, we're not number what? one. Hey, we're not number one. <laughs> we're not number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but what's interesting what? was that Oregon is apparently the most has the most polluted water. So hey, uh, amazing for us. I I have to say I was a little surprised, but hey, pleasantly so. Uh, you know, yeah, there's a. We have problems in, you know, in our rivers with water pollution, you know, as does everybody, uh, quite honestly. And it was nice to see that, you know, we don't totally suck. Uh, (laughs) But not to take pleasure in other people who have to deal with these things. But, yeah, you know, the, the problem is that water runs off our landscapes off our urban ant landscape and dumps into these rivers and waterways and it carries all kinds of things from you know the zinc that comes off your brake pads every time you hit your brakes on the road and oil um you know if you don't you know for all the people i i mean i'm sure all our listeners here clean up after their dogs when they when they're out there, but not everybody does. And when, you know, the dog poo gets into the, uh, into the waterways, it it gets into the storm drains and the storm drain in most cities is linked straight to a waterway. So, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of problems, I think. The problem we have now is because of the drought, the sewer systems are getting less and less water, which doesn't help push the, all the sludge to where it needs to go to get treated. That's that's going to be a big. It's starting to get a big problem now. Oh yeah, and then when the first rain of the season comes, it's usually pretty nasty because it's washing all kinds of things off the street into the waterways, and it's you know it's it's not good. <laughs> I don't know how don't know how else to say it. So. No. And the, the last thing I'll ask you is there was a there was an article, I guess it was written by somebody who works for a plant based food company. And they were talking about that the meat and dairy industry is is getting a real hard look over from a bunch of people because they're saying forty percent of the California water is due to due to the cows of they have the greenhouse <clears throat> gas emission and everything else. And, I always got a sense out of the article that uh, he, this person was moving down the path of trying to eliminate meat and dairy in the state of California. Well, yeah, I, the the people who are vegans are very, you know, ardent in their beliefs. Um, the the sad thing is, it's just not quite as easy as just saying, you know, we need to get rid of the cows because, you know, humans have changed the landscape over the last 100, 200 years here. And actually, cows provide, uh, you know, they eat down the, the grasses on the landscape when, they, when they're, you know, on rangeland. Uh, that's, that's an important land management tool. And we just, you know, and, and then the other thing is that, People who are vegan tend to, you know, go to alternatives like almond milk. And almonds are, 
I think you could arguably say that our almonds have a similarly uh, hard impact on the landscape as do cows. Yep. So, you know, sometimes switching from one to the other is not, is not really a switch. But if we take cows off the landscape, then we're going to have to manage that rangeland in some way. Um, and that's just, you know, not an easy thing to do. Some people are against hunters, you know, and they don't want, they don't think people should be out there hunting, but hunters actually provide a lot of money to the the national refuge system and to conservation for ducks and the other, you know, species that they hunt, because if they hunted them all out to extinction, then, then they would be over. So they... Actually, you know, hunt, hunting is a big source of income and work that's being done on the landscape to the benefit of all of us. So if we say, you know, there should be no more hunting, then we need to reach into our pockets and uh, pull up a lot of money to manage land, to, you know, that are being managed now by these organizations. So. You know, nothing is as easy in California water as you might think. No, I agree with you, Chris. And Rob, I agree with that, too. But, you know, let's look at this. When you talk about cows and how important they are, right? Vegans eat uh, fake hamburgers, right, made out of plant material. When you think about it, cows do that naturally. They eat grass and make beef. So why cut out the middleman? (laughs) I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to have an opinion, but I'm just going to say... I'm not putting you on the spot, Chris. No, no, no. But if you're vegan and then you go out and you eat all these substitutes for real food, like, you know, vegan cheese and vegan chicken. And I mean, I I, I just don't think it's quite honest. Okay. (laughs) It's like, call it. it, Okay. If you want to make alternatives, then call it that, but call it something else. It's not it's not vegan cheese, it's vegan tasty veggie spread or whatever it is. But right, you know right. it, it it seems to me I, I don't know. if if well, you're gonna give it up, then give it up. Not that, I'm going to give it up. Same, is that the same as of drinking recycled water? You know, the old the old terms when it first came out from toilet to tap. You know. Yeah. I mean so you, so we have to change the name name of that. No, I guess. no. No, because it's still water. I mean, it's like, it's still water. But, you know, when you're vegan, exactly. If you're vegan and you don't want to eat chicken, so you eat a substitute that is spelled C-H-I-C-K hyphen N. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Let's be honest. Okay. You don't want to eat meat. Great. Don't eat meat, but don't call it meat. Okay. You know, just so the bit. audience, uh, just so the audience knows, none of us are drinking right now. We're just having a nice conversation. <laughs> about... and, and and I don't take a position, so none of that should be considered as actually taking a position. But, I know, you're, you're but very... yeah, I, I don't know. Don't get that. Okay, well we're we're coming up to our commercial break, Chris. Both Chris's and I appreciate. Uh, for our listeners, please go to mavensnotebook.com. You can become a subscriber. You can become a uh, sponsor if you like. 
It's a great place to get uh, daily information on what's happening in the world of water in California and other places. And um, it's, a, it's a great uh, great thing that uh, Ms. Austin does. So, Chris, thank you very much. We'll, we'll hear from you next week. And hope all goes well. And uh, thanks for joining us again today. All right. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. All right, we're going to take a little break from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our featured guests. So stick around. That's going to be a great conversation. So uh, we'll be right back. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it, instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass on to your customers, and you can get your plants delivered direct, even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. Here's another quick tip. Keep a substitutions list on standby for every project so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you. They really love you. Aww. If you knew there was a pipe cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Well, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco-Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30% lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes. A better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. But don't just take our word for it. Eco-Series products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied fat-setting blue formula, 905 Eco, and a regular-bodied fat-setting clear formula, 900 Eco. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, after using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about Eco solvent cements from Weldon, visit the website at www.weldon.com or call the technical service hotline at 877-477-8327. That's 877-477-8327. K.C. A. A. Well, all right, everybody, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone. I'm your host, Chris Davy, along with the uh, vulnerable Rob Starr. And I'd just like to remind our listeners who are tuning in for the second half of the show here that Rob will be in person making an appearance at the uh, Wyland Mayor's Challenge tomorrow. And where's that at, Rob? Once again, remind our listeners. That's at Coronet Park in Westminster. Ah, uh, Westminster. All right. So 
if you want an autograph, guys, go down there and check out Rob. You'll find him uh, in Westminster tomorrow. All right, we got a great guest on the second half here, Rob, um, and uh, appreciate him coming on. His name is Sarge Green. Sarge is a water management specialist. He's with uh, water programs at Fresno State University and includes the uh, waters, the California Water Institute, the Center for Irrigation Technology, and the International Center for Water Technology. And during his tenure at Fresno State, his main focus has been water policy, um, regional water management planning, special water management reports, and a bunch of services for other water agencies as well. Sarge also served as general manager of Tranquility Irrigation Water District. That's in Westno, uh, sorry, Western Fresno County. He was there for 18 years. That's a long time. We'll ask him about that. He also worked for 13 years at the Central Valley Regional Water Quality Control Board. That's also in Fresno. He also managed uh, two resource conservation districts, both, both up there in uh, Fresno County again. He's currently a member of the Public Policy Institute of California, the Water Policy Center for Research, and uh, he's a water advisor to the California Partnership for the San Joaquin Valley. He previously served as the Joint Cal EPA, California Water Quality Monitoring Council, that's sponsored by the California Natural Resources Agency. Uh, he's been a part of the Agricultural Innovations Network, facilitated California Roundtable for Water Infused Food Security Efforts, and was the chair of the Water Quality and Clean Water Subcommittee and served on the Executive Committee for the Association of California Water Agencies. So if that's not a substantial background, I don't know what is. Sarge, welcome to the Water Zone. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, hey, I think welcome. with your background, you should be promoted from a Sarge to a five-star general. I, I got a quick story for you. I, I do have a military background. I spent four years in the Air Force, and believe it or not, I was a sergeant sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, hey, Sarge, we, we have a tradition here on the Water Zone where we, we always ask any new guest kind of this question. There's always a good story behind it, so we hope you have one. Really, at the beginning, what got you into this industry? What was it that drew you to uh, to the career you have today? You know, it's it's one of those accidental things. Uh, I, I mentioned in my background that I already that I was in the military. And I was a weather observer in the Air Force. And after I got out, um, I, I wanted to go back to school. And um, so I was looking at the course catalogs from some of the universities. And the closest thing I could find was there was a meteorology program, but it was a little steep for me. Uh, and I'd already done that. So I decided, well, I'd like to get NAG. So um, I saw water uh, water science at UC Davis. And, and that's all it took. Uh, just... Uh, it, just a connection between my military background and history and then getting into the university in a water science, which is now a hydrology degree. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to get into some of the uh, background a little bit more, but kind of give us, give our uh, listeners, if you will, kind of the 30,000 view of, of, uh, of yourself, your background, your education, a little bit more. Yeah, well, I do have a degree from UC Davis in water science and, and now hydrology. And I did start my career, as you mentioned in, in the intro, at the Central Valley Water Quality Control Board. Um, uh, and I was there for some time. And, and it was important uh, that, that I moved to Fresno because that's where the action was 
especially from the standpoint of agriculture, and then also because agriculture uh, discharges were starting to show up as a significant issue in groundwater. Uh, so when I was with the Water Board, uh, I worked on agricultural discharges, including even Superfund sites. In fact, another interesting aside is I was the senior scientist that had to deal with Kesterson Reservoir. Do you know what that is? I do indeed. I don't know if Rob does. Yes, I do. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that was quite a quite a journey. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I got worn out a little bit and I decided to go into private practice for a while. So I went to work for an engineering company and I kind of followed up on the work I started doing cleanup. Um, I, I thought it was important and valuable to um, get going on some of the disturbed areas up and down the state um, and, and help agriculture out by getting them through the processes. Uh, since I'd done it in a number of sites at the water board, uh, pesticide uh, facilities, um, underground tanks, a, dumb, a number of different types of contamination, um, I, I was able to get out there and, and help people get it cleaned up in a, in a sound and, and, uh, and financially stable way. So. I, I, that's one thing that I continue to do, even when I was with the irrigation district. And the board that I had was wonderful because they recognized that expertise. In fact, I even did a couple of underground tanks for some of my uh, farmers in, in, in the area that, out there. Um, and so the irrigation district, of course, I switched from quality to supply side. Um, and certainly uh, that got me into the arena that you were talking about earlier with Chris. And that is the vagaries of both California's climate in terms of water supply and then the delivery systems and figuring out how to get it. I was a Bureau of Reclamation customer out on the West Side. So um, uh, the first three years I was manager, I had a drought and I had to figure out how to get things done in a way that can uh, help the farmers uh, meet their demands um, and, and yet uh, know that we had a, a considerable conservation uh, demand in front of us. And so the first things I ended up doing was rebuilding the system and putting in a lot of pipelines to stop some of the losses and those kinds of things. So um, it got off running there and it was a great run. Um, and then the, my final year there, it was funny, uh, we ended up with a flood year, the year 2005-2006, um, and we had a levee break. And the levee broke on district-owned land and flooded our renters' tomatoes. So I've been through water quality crises. I've been through droughts. I've been through floods. And so uh, I, I was well prepared for whatever was facing me in the future. So here I am. Uh, well, you, so you after I went back into private practice, I, I also ran across some people from Fresno State, and they had a grant. And um, and I've been there now for 15 years. So you add that all up, I'm I'm quite senior now. <laughs> well, I got to admit, you've had a, a illustrious and a rewarding rewarding career at uh, CIT and, and 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 what you've done. You know, I got I got interested in them. Actually, I, I went up when they were first starting doing things about smart controllers and how to do testing and things. I worked with Ed Norum and Dave Zadalski. That's back I think of 2005, 2006, and. You know, it's 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 very you know people who are not in this industry have no idea what it takes to write a standard or a test procedure to validate something. You know, 
And, and I got to give the credit to uh, all the people that I've worked with, at, and, and same with Chris up at the CIT. You got a, a, a raft of great people, great staff, they, very technical, very helpful. And uh, we've, I, I think they've done a lot for the industry. Um, you know, I know groundwater is important to you, but how do you see groundwater to California? Uh, you know, a little bit of history, if you will, and, and where do you see it going or not going? Well, just before we get into that, just to support what you're saying, Rob, one of the things that we're going to be probably getting, we're getting asked already, and that is to certify measurement devices right. and certify measurement technicians to make sure that, that groundwater extractions are accurately measured, the farmers get a fair shake. Um, right now, where they're using uh, things like uh, OpenET or uh, uh, the EraWatch uh, uh, C-ball calculations, so we're depending a lot on evaporation, but that doesn't tell the whole story. So uh, I'm a firm believer in measurement, using measurement devices, but they have to be accurate and well-maintained. Oh, I, I... I, I I agree. I belong to the uh, uh, metrology uh, group, but when I tell people that, they say, "Oh, you do the weather stuff." I said, "No, that's meteorology, <laughs> not metrology." They get yeah. mixed up a little bit. Yeah. But I, to I totally yeah, agree. So, yeah. I'm an engineer, so my background is electronics and physics. So everything I, I always have a saying: "In God we trust, all others bring data," and that's that's yeah. how I work. So I, I I applaud you for what you do. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna get into that at, at CIT and and hopefully help people out. But but your question is uh, about groundwater supplies. What people probably don't realize is that California has a, quite a reservoir of capability of holding quite a bit of water in the ground. In fact, over 35 percent of all water used is uh, from groundwater, uh, with much higher use in droughts. And now we're in a, another drought and. Uh, but we have a new law, so it's going to be interesting how this shakes up. And we have these groundwater basins throughout the entire state, from the northeast down to the to the southwest. So except a lot of them may be a little salty, and we have salty ones here in the valley. We have salty ones in San Diego. There are a number of areas where the groundwater quality is a little less desirable, but a lot of it is very good and has been very good for a long time. But that's one of the dangers if we keep over pumping is that on the sea on the coast you could have seawater intrusion. But even here in the valley, we actually have a base underneath in the San Joaquin Valley of a brackish water. Uh, so if we over extract um, we could exhaust the freshwater supply. So that's one of the things that we're we're facing. Um, all these basins are related to the erosion of the mountains. They filled the valleys up with finer and coarser textured materials. Um, and uh, so when you see the map that the state puts out, it looks like everywhere has groundwater. Uh, another difference, of course, is you get out in uh, the desert areas. It's also limited. It doesn't have much natural recharge, so you really have to be careful in that area. Um, I think the first diversions, actually, though, um, and, and this is kind of probably near and dear to you guys down there, were actually of, of surface water by the, the Spanish Pueblos and the missions. And Los Angeles was one of the very first. Um, the Pueblo is now downtown L.A., but the L.A. River was diverted. But when the summer hit, um, much like um, most of California, uh, the crops didn't do so well. So we even tapped into groundwater with hand-dug wells and those sorts of things. 
way back at the beginning of irrigation in California. And I think that's what people don't understand is how valuable the groundwater is. is, is what it really did was it um, to, was able to supplement irrigation and complete the irrigation cycle and improve crops in, in uh, California uh, so that you could complete them. Otherwise, they would dry up and wouldn't perform as, as well. Um, and it really, though, kicked off in the early 20th century in terms of groundwater extraction when the deep well turbine came in, into play, as well as a full electrification of all of California, especially the rural areas. That's when irrigation really took off and agriculture really started to put a tremendous demand on groundwater. So, um, you know, here we are um, uh, 100 plus years later when, when that event happened. Uh, so it, we've been continuously extracting that groundwater and we're now at a point where um, e even though we've had surface water, the rate of extraction has exceeded the ability to refill it. And um, we're now at a point where we've got to put in this management system to be able to uh, sustain this uh, valuable resource. So we're, we've hit the wall. Wow. Hey, that was a great bit of history. I'm sure that our listeners uh, uh, really appreciate that. I'm getting a couple of things on the uh, uh, on the show here already. But um, listen, let's fast forward till today, right? So you talk, give us a little bit of history. So kind of in a, in just a few minutes, because I don't want to run out of time. I ask, I want to, we got a couple other questions to ask you. How is groundwater managed today, right, in the state here? I know there's such a thing as the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. So maybe you can give us the, uh, you know, the elevator speech for that. Yeah, the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act passed in 2014, and, and, and frankly, it was a collaboration that, that did it. In fact, uh, there were a lot of farmers who were losing their wells during the, the drought of 2012 to 2016, and they supported the act. And that was a big political change from any prior, um, because it, it truly is a control strategy. It's not just, well, let's plan for groundwater management. There were groundwater management plans around for a number of years already, but this is actually a strategy for uh, having to reduce uh, uh, pumping in some instances so that elevation doesn't keep going deeper and, and ruin it. Uh, so the law was passed in 2014, and it's made up uh, of three major parts. Uh, one is you had to form a sustainability agency. A whole bunch of them formed, 125 in the San Joaquin Valley alone. Um, you had to measure. That gets back to what Rob said. Measurement is critical. You need to know where the groundwater is, what condition it's in, uh, quality, and then it, and it has ancillary impacts if, if you overpump it. Um, and, and then the third thing was a plan. And the plan, obviously, is the control strategy because if you continue to have a, a downward spiral of your water elevation or depth of groundwater, uh, sooner or later, if you set a number, you're going to have to stop pumping. That's going to be the danger in, in some instances. So uh, there are some basins that were already labeled also under a law as critically overdrafted, and those were the first ones that had to come up with their plans. Those plans are in place, and people are starting to implementing uh, implementing those plans. Um, and one of the things they got to do is got to raise money, um, and that's not going very well. Uh, some people are pretty upset about that. 
Uh, some of these new sustainability agencies have already gone through what's known as Prop 26 or 218 taxing elections, yep. where you assess the property, yep. and um, people are unhappy. I noted in the, pay, in the trade today, Madera passed uh, theirs, and it's pretty steep. The first year, it's something like 124 bucks an acre uh, starting next year. Um, and that's to do two things. Number one, uh, to raise money to pay for uh, the operation, but also to build projects. And I think that's probably what's important is uh, that, that the first efforts are going to be to try and get as much more water in the ground, but also maybe pay for, in some cases, demand management. But here, here's the, the, the key. There are six things that you've got to avoid that are labeled in the law as the problems. Um, we've got to avoid what we call then these uh, unsustainable or significant impacts. And one of them is seawater intrusion, which happens on the coast. Another one is subsidence. And that's a very important one. It really doesn't mean much in terms of actual water. What it does do, though, is it's the collapse of clays deep underneath, and that reflects all the way to the surface. And some people have said that the Samakin Valley is the most altered landscape in the world as a result of land sinking. Um, because uh, when that clay collapses, then that water is squeezed out. It can never be returned. But it changes the hydraulics in the underground systems. All of a sudden, water moves in funny different directions. So that's more of the real impact. But then the sinking of the land causes tremendous damage to roads, bridges, canals, pipelines. And the biggest example is the Frank Kern. The Frank Kern Canal has sunk, and we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars now to correct that because of overpumping um, in, in central Tulare County. And that area is where the canal crosses over and heads down to Kern County and um, to the, in the Bakersfield area where it terminates. And uh, that's been that's a very expensive fix. So we've got to stop subsidence. So there's these goals that we've got to do under these plans. Um, and, and so what, where we are is the plans were submitted in two, uh, 2020 for a lot of the labeled critically overdrafted basins, but now the report card is coming out. Um, and the report cards are only six of them passed out of the 125. All the others got a note that said, you need to do a little better. You, you have to figure out how to work better together in the basins because GSAs didn't all um, work as well together, even though they shared the same basin or they did something different in their plan, and now they need to smooth those out. So there's a lot more work that's going on right now as we speak in redoing some of those groundwater sustainability plans, get, get them in shape to get the positive approval. Because if they don't get approved, the state can come in and write and implement the actions necessary to attain sustainable groundwater. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, where we are and and what their people are trying to do, um, and at least the projects, because the first thing they want to do is recharge. So one of the things that's going on is that we've got a helicopter flying around. Uh, it's uh, run by Stanford that tells you the uh, density and the uh, properties down deep. And then we've already had all of our soils mapped, and we have an index in California here that says these permeable soils will put more water into the ground. You match the two up, you match your deliveries to those areas, and we're going to try and pick as much water in the ground as we can, gentlemen. And I think that's kind of in a nutshell where we are. <laughs> wow. So let me jump right to the, I guess, the, the 
question. So I, I know you said you've been, you were born a sergeant, you were a sergeant in the Air Force, but I want to promote you to the czar of water in California. So, <laughs> so what do you, what do you see the future holds for California water and, and what would be your, your top three issues that you think we should tackle? Um, top three issues we should tackle. Um, well, I'm going to take dams off the list. Uh, I know we have some that are going to be built, but the top three are um, groundwater recharge, um, storage potentially in uh, lands that may have to go out of production uh, to back to interim wetlands because it kills two birds with one stone or restores some of the environment, but also has an opportunity for uh, storing water and then re-releasing it and it will, so it can be used for recharge or for direct irrigation. And, and number three, to um, resolve the issue of uh, domestic wells. Um, and, and, and those are the hot items. Those are specific things. Big picture-wise, California, um, I, I'm going to shift gears here, and we really need to do a better job of educating the public about water in California. We still have enough water. Uh, if you look at the northern part of the state, they, they're in a drought this year, too. But much more often, they, they get ample supplies of water. But we have that switching yard problem in the Delta that we have got to figure out so that we can help move some of that water when it is in wet years and get it around to where we can then sink it in the ground or use it for domestic, I think. Um, the other thing is people got to go on a diet, right? They've got to go on a water diet even more than they have before. Um, this is, I, I mentioned in my notes to you that one of the other things that's going on in the demand management side is that irrigation of, of the landscapes is going to get hit hard because the state's going to uh, ratchet down these urban and water management plan requirements to say cities can only offer 70% of ET for outside irrigation at landscapes. So, it's hard. My, yeah. Yeah, Sarge, we're going to have to close in because NBC News is going to kick us off here in about 30 seconds. There's obviously a ton of stuff, and we're going to have to have you uh, back to talk about it. There's a lot more we want to talk about. We really appreciate you coming on the show for sure, Sarge. And, uh, and Rob and I will be in touch because we got to get you back. So we're coming up to the end you got of the hour in about 10 seconds. Yeah, this, you're great. And Chris, you heard it from the fan. you got to cut back on the beer because that's full of water. So, anyway, thank you, Sarge, for joining us. <laughs> And we'll certainly call you back. We